What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's Film Study once again. You guys know how this works by now. It's week three, uh, offense report. So we're going to look back at the loss in Kansas City this weekend. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing great. It's uh, another week. Beautiful weather down here in Florida, so nothing to complain about. So, I'm getting over my grief here, feeling positive, going forward, not complaining about the flags, not doing any of that. Yeah, you and I kind of came out of that game differently. You came out with the the griefs and all that we should have won, and I was happy that it was within five points because I didn't think we were going to win that game. I thought that was a a big 
statement game if we were to win it. Uh, could, but let's, could could go either way on the, on that one, I think. Right. But let's get to our guests because the mailbag and a whole lot of more questions have came in about John Harbaugh. And uh, the person that we know that knows John Harbaugh the best is a person who's been on the show, got a huge reaction when she was on the show a few weeks ago. So let's welcome back Sarah Ellison. Sarah, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back, guys. Our pleasure, Sarah. Absolutely. One of our favorite guests and, and definitely one of the fans' favorite guests, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's nice. Twitter told me this week that I was the reason why women shouldn't watch football. So it's good to hear that there's <laughs> there's positive feedback out of there. But that was a Steelers fan, so you just let that roll off your back. <laughs> uh, probably the appropriate discount factor. Very good. <laughs> so what did you take away from this game, Sarah? Well, I think if you're going to take a look at it from a very big picture point of view, I think going into it, the Ravens, if the Ravens could have beaten the Chiefs, you're being able to think big. And I mean like by week in the playoffs type big. And even though they lost, I think it, it lets you know they're not quite in that playoff elite level, such as Kansas City, Patriots, that type of thing. But they're definitely on the fringe. And I think that that is a hopeful sign knowing that your team is still young and you're going to have another test when the Patriots come to town to see if you've improved, to see if you are more elite. But right now, you can't say that they are. You can still say that they're a playoff team, especially with the way the AFC North is is shaping up. But, uh, but, but I, you know, nobody likes moral victories and neither do I. But I just I think it just kind of put them in that ranking of not one of the elite playoff teams, but still definitely a playoff team. OK, I mean, I, I'm in, I'm agreeing with you that they're they're a very likely playoff team. And I look at this Chiefs team. I don't like playing whack-a-mole with other teams where you say that team's not that good. So we, we should put, make the playoffs over them. Right. But the Chiefs are a deeply flawed team. I mean, they allowed the Ravens six yards of carry. That's either great for the Ravens, which it probably is. But it's also bad for the Chiefs that they're allowing six yards per carry. And I should say the Ravens almost allowed six yards per carry on the non-meals in this games as well. So not, not that that was great. But each team has flaws. They are not without warts, and yet they have a lot of weapons each in terms of moving the football and getting down the field. And boy, holding on to that football. So with the turnovers in this game, it really looked like you know a slugfest. We saw this same kind of thing in the Saints game last year where you face an opponent who's, who's able to hold the ball pretty much at will, it could maintain long drives. Both teams could do this. There were only 10 possessions each in the game. And, you know, among that, we talked a little bit on the defensive podcast about how the missed turnover opportunities really hurt the Ravens. But I think it also drove some of the decision-making and some of the very controversial choices that came up this week. Oh, it, it, it definitely did. I mean, I, I mean, definitely some lost opportunities. Sounds like you guys talked about that there but it definitely in my mind you influenced the fourth down decisions particularly um to to extend drives to win the snap count uh to win the time of possession it it, it was it was it, harbaugh said it perfectly this was not a field possession game meaning i, I mean i heard a joke uh that somebody said well the chiefs are inside their own 20 so they're in the red zone meaning mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if they're backed up in their 10 or, you know, they're in the red zone. There's a great chance they're going all the way for it for a touchdown. And so those fourth down opportunities, I think, were heavily influenced by that to try to maintain a possession and keep it away from them when you weren't getting those turnovers. Yeah, definitely a premium on on holding the football. And that means you take more risks on fourth down. I agree completely. I, I Personally, I don't even think you needed to be playing the Chiefs to justify every single one of the fourth down decisions that were made. I think you could have, even against a, a pretty average team in this league, I think it's okay go, to go on fourth and two from your own 45. But that's the mathematician in me that, that basically says it's pretty much always okay to go on fourth down. Yeah, in, in terms, go ahead. When, I was going to say, when you play the Chiefs, there's actually an incremental value to it. So if you're going to give them the ball at the 20, or you're going to give them the ball at your own 45. Let's say those are the two choices. There's actually a gain from giving the Chiefs the value at your own 45 is that they'll have the they'll have the ball for fewer plays. Maybe you stop them, maybe you don't. But if they get in the end zone, they probably get in the end zone quicker than they will from their own 20. Now, as a turn in, I think from their own four, they got in the end zone in three plays. I, I think that's right. They, they had that was the 83-yard play out of Hardman. 
So right, right. it didn't the really work coverage. out that way. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're totally. I don't know the math as well as you do. You know, I'll go on the uh, New York Times fourth down bot and kind of look at what that does. And I think when it comes down to the math, you're absolutely right. Whether it's the Chiefs or somebody else, that bot's telling you in those situations, even deep in your own territory, to go for it. Now, now what John Harbaugh did talk about, and this is getting lost in all the analytics talk, is he still balances that math with his gut. And his analytics guys will tell you that he goes too much with his gut over the analytics. For me personally, I think that when you are, whether it's the two-point conversions or the fourth downs, if, you, if you're going to criticize it, okay, if you, there's, there's layers to it. There's a, the decision-making layer, which is John Harbaugh, analytics in his gut. There's the play calling layer with, with Roman. So if you go with it, are you calling the right play? And then there's the execution layer. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is, is if one of those three things fail, then the result overall is negative. So then you say, well, John Harbaugh's decision was wrong. Well, you can't go that way. That's, you're, that's a conversation with my eight-year-old child that I have, that, that if it doesn't work, then it was wrong. You have to be able to go through those layers. So for me personally, if I were putting my gut into it, I, I know the math is right. I don't like the fourth downs deep in your own territory. I don't do it. I punt it. But I get where he's coming from, not only from the math, but from the, 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 the mentality that he had that he was like, we're going to go win this game. We're going to go and punch them in their mouth, take out their crowd, and we're going to try to go win this game. And if we fail at doing it, I'd rather lose that way. And so I, I, he came out with that mentality. And for the first quarter, that first drive, I mean, they stopped, they stopped the Chiefs with the, their first drive. Then the Ravens go down eight plays or 14 plays, something crazy like that. So that was his mentality. And in no way do I blame him for that. But, but once you start getting down to the details, I, I mean, the decisions, I think, were fine analytically and even your gut, that's fine. But then if you don't like the result, you have to drill down and say, wait, was it the play call I didn't like for Roman? Was it the execution or was it the decision? For yeah. most times, for me, the decision was fine. It was either the play call or the execution that I didn't like. I completely agree with what you said. I like your way of dividing into the three things. I'm going to only comment on one other thing. That was Harbaugh at the podium on Monday, I thought was just outstanding. He was as patient as he can be with the people in the audience. He basically told him, you know, it's complex. Please go out online, yada, yada. Here's where this is born of, is that on Sunday, they've had a pre-game talk, no doubt, with the analytics folks about restricted number of possessions, taking more chances, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of what the situation was in the game. He said this weather, the opponent, things like that figure into it. I, I, I buy that. But what's more important is he's hearing a choice made over the headset, or really not a choice because the choice is his. He's hearing a suggestion over the headset. Now, right. he, has to, he has to basically come back on Monday and explain that decision as if he was the one who, who – completely conceived it. But what he's actually doing is he's trusting the people on his analytics staff to, to take that decision to actually implement it and then to defend it on Monday as will be needed, you know, often when these things go wrong. You know, there are chances that you need to have a 50% chance or you need to have a 47% chance in some cases to make it. And sometimes you're going to make the 47s and sometimes you're not. But, uh, but I, I love the fact that he was willing to defend that on Monday. That's intellectual security, and I want that from my head coach. Right. I, I would just tweak it. I mean, I agree with everything you said. Just tweak it slightly. Um, and you did kind of say this. I mean, he is making that ultimate decision. He'll mm -hmm. get – he gets from all of his coaches or analytics people, whatever, uh, and it's all happening quick, all, you know, these snap decisions – he hears, you know, it's not like he knows the exact math in the exact situation in that moment. He is, he, he, he's probably getting that from uh, an analytics person, but he's still making the decision. He's still making the decision. He doesn't always go with them. And that's another thing he tried to point out. And so he went with it this time, A, because the math was so much into his favor. It was some, those fourth downs weren't even toss-ups. Like it was mm -hmm. go for it mathematically. But he was combining that with his strategy to be aggressive and to try to go and punch them in the mouth and have a possession-winning game, not, not a field position. So I think it was all those things combined, but it was still his decision. Analytics was just one part of it. 
All right. Outstanding. So we're both very much on, on uh, John Harbaugh's side in terms of this. Let's take a minute to just talk about where we are in the division now, because things have certainly changed. The loss to Kansas City changes the AFC picture some in terms of the, the you know, the potential for a buy and, uh, you know, where the Ravens may be playing in the playoffs. Unfortunately, some of that's been decided or some of that uh, has been influenced by this loss. But still reflecting ahead at these next three weeks, they're going to be playing in division against Cleveland, Pittsburgh, uh, and Cincinnati, and looking at where these teams are. I'll, I'll start with Cleveland, who's lost a game against the Titans, but they come into Baltimore with the season potentially on the line for them. If they win this game, they're back in control of the division. Yeah, I think they would because it would be uh, each, each the Ravens and Cleveland would be two and two. Then Cleveland wins the tiebreaker. So, yes, they would be back on top. Um, and and right now they're really, the to me, the biggest threat in, in the AFC North. The, this, this game, the next three games are massive. Anytime you play in the division, one game is worth two because you're pushing, you're potentially pushing yourself up one game and your opponent down one. Uh, so, so yes, this is massive. It feels like the Ravens have had a very comfortable lead in the division, but this one game puts Cleveland back on top if yeah, they win. The, the divisional record, of course, on the line, and that's very important, particularly for the Steelers game. Uh, you know, we you you have not been on since the Micah Fitzpatrick trade, but the Steelers boards have really imploded over the possibilities of trading a top ten draft pick to get Micah Fitzpatrick. I think it's it, it was an interesting gamble. He's somebody I would have wanted more than Ramsey. But uh, but interestingly, the Steelers got them and they, they traded what might or might not be too much. But in any case, they're still going to be dangerous when they come here in week five, because even if they're 0 and 4 at that point, they'll still be clinging to hope. Uh, they'll still be trying to get back in the division race and they'll still be trying to see if Mason Rudolph can do it. And and it'll be the Ravens and Steelers. I'm still concerned about that game. And that'll I mean, be not in Baltimore. That'll be in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And we've been down this road before where, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger has been knocked, been knocked out, maybe not for a whole year, but knocked out for a game. And the Ravens have lost to the backup before. Um, Mike Tomlin knows the Ravens extremely well. The Steelers know the, the Ravens extremely well. Um, it's it's not going to be, you know, a cakewalk. Having said that, having said that, the state of the AFC North, the way it is right now, if the Ravens don't win the, the division crown this year, I think it's a big missed opportunity oh, the, yeah. the, the division has not been the, I mean again Cleveland supposedly is better we still need to see if they really are they are in paper they haven't shown it uh, to, I mean they've only, they've only beaten the Jets um, but but you're going to miss a big opportunity with, with these down years for these teams the Ravens have got to capitalize I, I could, could not agree more they really need to cash in on this one the Bengals appear done and they may be making changes whether that's trades a change of quarterback, all kinds of things maybe still happening this season for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I, I think we're back to having it down here for them as well. Yeah, I would agree there. Let's talk a little bit about this game in particular on the offensive side. And and we always, I think, make sense to start with Lamar in terms of what went right and what went wrong in this game. And obviously there were a fair number of things that did not go right. Obviously Lamar was not the Lamar of the first two weeks. One of the problems for him, though, was that he didn't get the same kind of protection he had. The uh, And it was worse because Kansas City got pretty decent pressure and only gave him 15 out of 36 ample time and space opportunities. That's 33 percent. But they did it by rushing four on 32 of the 46 dropbacks. And that is a very bad combination. I, I was going to ask you, I had seen that that stat from you, the 33 percent. How does that compare to? I, I I think I remember back. It was 38 percent versus to, against Miami. Right not a ton, not a ton better, mm-hmm. um, but maybe it was because of the the way they were rushing that it was with with the Kansas City getting pressure with four. I don't know how many uh, Miami was bringing, but that 33 percent is that a, above average, below average, right about it? Low 40s. Is, is average these days. It used to be 50% was really the standard when I started doing this in, in 2010 with Flacco. Uh, and then it dropped slowly over the years as defensive coordinators ratcheted up the need to get fast pressures, particularly on third and medium. So uh, the, the, anyway, about low 40s is about the right number now. 42%, 43%, that would probably be about good, but about normal. Okay. Well, then, yeah, I mean, with the four-man four man rush getting into 33%, yeah. that is a bad combination. 
Well, I, I, I wanted to say this, but uh, but the last two drives of the game, so the Ravens ran 15 pass plays on those, and they only had one ample time and space. And ample time and space is, is, is the worst, sorry, is the best, but then you can also get the ball out quickly. They got the ball out quickly only three times, and they gave up 10 pressures where somebody was actually inside the cone for Lamar, and then uh, uh, one other sack to Frank Clark. So uh, that was that was quite a bad run. They just could not figure out how to get Chris Jones and Frank Clark blocked on those last two drives. Well, something that I'm trying to reconcile kind of o- overall, maybe you can help me with it. I was looking up, uh, PFF has the Ravens as a team number one in the league overall in, pl- in pass blocking grades. Mm-hmm. Same with, with, with run blocking. How do you reconcile those those two? I mean, was this a down game in your opinion, or was this? Um, and they've been doing well over overall. I mean, number one in the league in pass blocking is, is their grade. I'm I'm I know they're I think they have them as the ninth best overall line in the league. So maybe I'd have to look at that again to really see the the pass blocking particular. Could it could be number one? I really don't know. Okay. Um, They've had a, you know, they've had a pretty good year pass blocking, but I just wouldn't say it's number one in the league. Let's see, Stanley's gotten two A's and a D. Bozeman has been all over the map, including an F in this game. So it's hard for me to. I, I don't believe that should be correct. But okay. PFF and I have differed often on on grades before. Well, and too. I didn't know if that overall grade also brings in receiving receivers blocking and all of that. Maybe it's not just the line. Could be. Um, could be tight ends. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah, but that that took me that took me aback when I saw that today. But but um but yeah, in, in this game, Lamar seemed to be under more pressure than than the la- the previous two games. And again, KC isn't even that great of a defense. Right, right. Now they're they're certainly a deeply deeply flawed defense. So you 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 want to take advantage of that. Um, what else would I say about him? The deep targets uh, he was missing. The shallow targets are what he was hitting. Uh, Next Gen has air yards differential, and it's mm-hmm. an interesting stat because it takes the average yards of your completions, which for Lamar was about, I think, 6.1 in this game, might have been 6.0, and the average yards of his, it subtracts from that, the average yards of his targets, which was 11 yards and change. So he had a six point, or sorry, a 5.7 yard air yard differential negative, which was the worst in the entire NFL this week. And you don't expect it, that number to be positive too often. When it's positive, it's a very good sign because it means you're completing your longer passes and not completing your shorter ones. Mm-hmm. But but in this case, it was it was the worst in the entire league. So we could see a lot of balls sailing down the field on Lamar in this game. And, uh, and you know, obviously it was not his best game. Yeah, Lamar, Lamar um... – as a passer, you're right. I mean, he, he just wasn't his game. I felt like the Ravens tried to come out and, you know, have him go blow for blow with, with Mahomes through the air. And he was 50% um, pass completion. That's, mm-hmm. that's just not good enough. And he's been better than that this year. Um, another next-gen gen stat with the uh, deep attempts for 20-plus. First two games, he was 5 of 9 for 224 yards and two touchdowns, 140 passer rating. This week, he was 3 for 12, 79 yards, 54.5 passer rating. Ouch, I mean, ouch, it, ouch. It was just and, – and you could see it. I mean, it just – the balls were getting away from him. They were sailing. And, and um, it, you know, I, I, for, for his critics, they're going to want to say, well, now that's the real Lamar. That's the real mm-hmm. Lamar that we know, not the first two games against Miami and Arizona. Uh you know, I'm not I'm not buying that. I, I think he had an off day and I had seen that you had seen that with reports through training camp where he would have three or four great days in a row and then he just have an off day and get back on. That's what I'm sure the Ravens are hoping for, that this was just one of those off days. His touch was off and, and the, some of the balls, they were just sailing and getting away from them. Right. There's a lot of factors probably played in pink, played in play here. But I think, first of all, the, the, the answer is probably in between those, those two sets of games. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he had a historic, one of the best games in league history against Miami. And then, you know, came back down a little bit, was still quite good against Arizona. And then he had this misery. So hopefully he'll be, uh, you know, closer to that Arizona game than the other two, I would think I would, I would certainly take. That would be a good close-to-the-pin result against the, uh, against the Browns coming up. Right, so anyway, right. I, 
Okay, so we talked a little bit about that. We've talked about ample time and space. He should have, by the way, based on his ample time and space opportunity, if I apply the Flacco standard, he should have thrown for 252 net in this game. He actually threw for 249 net. So it was only a minus three based on Flacco standard. But I think one of the things we've come to realize is that any kind of average yards per pass stats for Flacco, you're, you, you are really using a very low standard maybe in a replacement level standard if if I were even to go that low. So I want him to be better than that. And obviously minus three is not good. Yeah, I think Flacco ranks even still with the Broncos near the bottom in yes. uh, yards per completion. Yes. And he, he's 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 very low on both his average completions and his average distance of throw, which is which is uh you know I would I would think that Denver's probably having some talks about that right now. I, I wanted to give you a chance to just bring bring up one play, maybe, and it could be a Lamar pass, but it could be something else uh, to talk about. Is there any any one particular play you'd like to bring up? Because I have yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, what's great about this is here we're talking about him having a bad game, and yet I would still say it's because of him that the Ravens came back thirteen to thirty in that fourth quarter. And and part of it, you know, he did with his legs, others with with a couple of prayers. But I just want to point out with with, you know, because it, it is kind of a, it is a down game for him. But it's still because of his fortitude and his fight and all of that. That's what you have to love about him, that he's never going to give up. And he still brought the brought the Ravens back to be within five. And finally, you know, the defense got a couple of stops. So I just want to point out that fortitude and that that will to continue to to get better even after you know, several bad quarters. But the one that I want to bring up, which is probably an odd one, um, was the 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 Hail Mary he threw up uh, to Seth Roberts. Yeah. And the reason why I do this is because, okay, look, he's lucky he didn't get one of his first turnovers, mm-hmm. you know, with either that one or the one to, to Willie Sneed. However, I am 100% okay with him throwing that ball up in that situation. You are fourth down. You're about to get sacked. The, the defender has his hands on your feet. You have another defender bearing down. And if you just take the sack or try to do a check down or just throw it away, the game is over. Mm-hmm. You're down 13 to 30 in the fourth quarter on fourth down. So I love the fact with, with two defenders all over him, he flung that up. And even in that one, he flung it in a place where – it wasn't likely to be intercepted. I think the the Willie Sneed one was much more likely to be intercepted oh, yeah. if it weren't for Sneed himself. But but I like that he knows the situation. He didn't make those careless mistakes early in the game. He only made, took that chance when he absolutely had to. And it turns out the prayer was answered twice, actually. But but I, I really appreciated that about him, that that was part of his fight. And he knew when to take those chances and and you know, he, he made it happen. He brought him, he brought him back in within. And, and I thought, I thought that was a good decision on his part. Yeah, it was absolutely outstanding. I agree. And uh, you, you, you got to realize that you can't take the sack. You can't do it. And he, he scrambled all over that pocket on many more plays than that to get through on those final two drives and make something happen each time field goal and a touchdown, despite the fact he was pressured almost every single drop back. So I, I, yeah. I love that fight. I'm going to point to one thing. It's a play design thing that I think has become a very old chestnut that may not fit Jackson's style. And that's the old zone block life, naked boot, right? They continuously run. They've run this for at least 15 years in the Ravens playbook. As far as Mm -hmm. they they go out of the eye formation, fake the handoff to the tailback with with the traditional play action, uh, back quarterbacks back to the defense. And here's the problem is that play works. Well, the, uh, let me describe the rest of it here. So they, they seven players, there's two backs and the five linemen, all fake that motion to the left side that hopefully gets the defense following. And the entire goal of that seven-man fake is to get the edge defender on the right side fooled by it. There's only really one guy they have to fool. And then and then you drop back, with the, you roll out to the right, and then you have a target at three levels and take your pick. Uh, from three to one, generally speaking. But here's the problem. The edge defender with the zone read risk and with all the other Lamar risk is too focused on Lamar 
to really fall for that same kind of boot action. And they're more, much more likely in both times this game, they were right on top of it. One time Hurst made a little block and they got a, they got a, a plate of oil in there. But they also took, took a 12-yard sack on the play when Matthew was blitzing off that side. So it's just it's so many things that can go wrong, but the focus on on Lamar is too great. It's like being a mobile quarterback is a disadvantage for that play type. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, they have been running that. I remember Joe Flacco running that a lot, oh, yeah. and it seemed like he was always, for the most part, free. Because mm-hmm. uh, and and that and that makes sense what you're saying because they're already focused on him. There's usually a spy on Lamar, you know? So, so, and you're right. I, I kind of got <clears throat> frustrated with it because I saw it a couple of times and I'm just like, it's not open. I mean, it's it, first of all, the pressure is there and it's not open. Um, and it, and it did seem to work really well with Flacco. Would I get your point? Maybe it is because they're so focused on Lamar anyway, you're not fooling anybody with it. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, anyway, I'm hoping they will find a new scheme in the coming weeks to create more time and space for him. We've seen Roman add layers to this offense as we go through the years. Certainly last year, you know, they had, it seemed like they had a new set of plays every week they were adding in and maybe some other forward facing fake or a, RPO fake that they they could add where he then pulls the ball out of the mesh and runs to space to throw a pass. So kind of like a triple option would be Mm -hmm. a cool thing to add. But I'm certainly hoping they have more than what they had already for the Browns because the Browns really do present a very talented defensive front and a four-man pass rush that's, that's even better than the Chiefs. Cleveland will easily be the best defense that they the Ravens faced this season. All right. So or so far up to this point. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> not not overall, yeah, just up to this point through four weeks. <laughs> yeah, they'll have to face the Rams in L.A. I'm a little bit fearful right, of what's right. going to happen with Aaron Donald. All right, well, this is the point in the show where we normally take talk a little bit about offensive line scoring. I'm going to try and be quick with this tonight, uh, Sarah, and then we can have some time for other things as we go through the skill position players. Uh, real quickly, Stanley had his second straight excellent game. Uh, loving seeing him play healthy, aggressive in space. A in this game, nine blocks in level two was really nice. He had four pancakes in the game. Uh, a couple of really nice highlight blocks where he did some really non-traditional things to make two blocks on the same play. And I'll just I'll talk about one of them. There was a running play early on, went to the opposite side for four yards. So Stanley's on the back side of the run play. His initial block was to jam Okafor into Bozeman. Didn't really tee him up for Bozeman, but he just kind of got him off balance a little bit. And then he noticed Matthew was was pursuing through the backfield uh, to, to try and catch up to Ingram. And he, he stepped a couple steps to the left and knocked knocked Matthew way out of the <laughs> loop, loop out of the way. And it was just it was very impressive to see a, a left tackle be that aware of the game situation to know that that pursuit from Matthew was even more dangerous than than the guy he was engaged with already. I thought Stanley had an excellent game. I hate to point out one negative on somebody that it was the uh, the first two point conversion try when they had Lamar running out to the left, uh, which I thought was a great play call. You're on the one yard line going with one of the most dynamic quarterbacks uh, in the league, putting the ball in his hands. Stan- Stanley just barely put his hands on, on the guy he's blocking and, and the defender blows right past him and blows up Lamar. That was that was the one thing I didn't love from Stanley. Otherwise, I thought he had a great game. You know, that's a great catch, and and I've been I've been caught on this before, uh, but but I do not include two point conversion attempts in my offensive line scoring. And uh, there was another yeah. bad one last year that 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 I got caught on as well. But that's a that's a good catch, and I missed that. Uh, but I appreciate you bringing it up. All right, let's move on because Bradley Bozeman had a terrible game, but. Uh, Hopefully this is not the the last we've seen of him. Hopefully he gets another shot from this. But uh, he had nine missed blocks, which is a lot. And that's been a problem for him the first couple of weeks. And a lot of those, I want to say five of them, yes, five of them were losses at the line of scrimmage. But then he also tossed in six and a half pressures on top of that. And that's six full and one half. Most of that was Chris Jones just really taking the woodshed. And particularly on that final drive when he beat him three times for pressures. And also one quarterback hit. He uh, he was actually the trigger guy on. He didn't his guy didn't clean it up, but uh, but he caused the pocket to be flushed. So anyway, real tough game for Bradley. Uh, a high F 
still, given the number of snaps in the game, he was able to recover some of those points, but uh, not one that's going to earn him points in whatever may still be remaining in the left guard competition. Uh, that one's that one's still there. I mean, whoever's there, whether it's Bozeman or if they go on to somebody else, I think they benefit by playing in between uh, Stanley. And even though people don't love Skura, I think Skura is holding his own also. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, Skura is not in any danger of losing his job. And yet I still see tweet after tweet about this. This is why if, if I get if I get on Twitter early in the day or too early, I'll just waste hours on there because. <laughs> So many people want to ask questions about what do you think about Jalen Ramsey? What do you think about Jalen? Or, or they want to ask questions about Skura and that's usually a conversation ender for me too. He's in, he's in absolutely no jeopardy of losing his job. He was a C minus player. Yeah. He was a C minus player last year, which is just fine for a guy in year two. who's not eating any cap and he plays every single freaking snap. I mean, you, you, you couldn't ask for a lot more and you know, a C of being a league average player. I think a C minus is just fine. He's, he's really playing at about a C-plus level this year, which would be a big step forward from year two to three and would set him up to really have a big contract year coming up in year four. So I would be thrilled if he could play at this current level for the rest of the year. He's, uh, uh, he's getting it done in my book. Well, and then as a former undrafted free agent, totally cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, if he keeps taking steps forward, it's, it's only going to get better. And Unfortunately, he may price himself out of out of Baltimore if your predictions come true. Yeah, very possible. And that's certainly what happened to Ryan Jensen. The yeah. Ravens are getting a little more value out of Skura in year two, two and three than they got out of Jensen. They didn't have him on the field nearly as much. Jensen really won the job in the offseason between year and three and four with a lot of hard work in the weight room and with the trainers to try and improve his conditioning. And then he showed up and he was very effective. Oh, one thing, just one thing for those that don't like Skura, I will say that there was that high snap that I think contributed to yes. Lamar Jackson's. I think it was the first sack. So, uh, and I know that that PFF has graded him down for some of those snaps too. So that was that was a high snap that helped lead to that sack. Yeah, that that was that was certainly would be a justified grade down on that particular one. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Marshall Yanda. Continuing to rock it. I mean, he's, he, he had six missed blocks in this game, but absolutely no negative events. So uh, a .92 per play as I scored it would have been an A even before an adjustment. And then he, he had an adjustment for uh, who he played against. And he had some, some matchups with Jones in this game. I think one of the th- interesting things to look forward to with Yanda is if he wants to play in 2020, obviously he's already looks like he's playing well enough that it would certainly be something the Ravens would want. Mm-hmm. I know he's talked about talking to his family and making the decision again at the end of this year, even though he's signed for two years and deciding whether or not he wants to do that. He said very clearly, you know, this is a one-year contract, even though it's a two-year deal kind of at the beginning of this year. His Hall of Fame resume is right there in terms of being good enough to go in, but another year would certainly help Marshall. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like your, your, your pitch here for him. I mean, I agree. It's kind of like, I, I mean, uh, he just he just keeps going. He just keeps he just he's the leader. He is a Hall of Fame caliber guy. Oh, I do not look forward forward to the day that he does hang him up. I hope he lives out the two years and then some if he keeps it up. Yeah, that would be very cool. I mean, obviously, the next major injury we have to probably be realistic is probably going to be the end for him. But, uh, but hopefully that doesn't come this year, next year, or even in 2022. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go for four more years. But anyway, the, the average, I looked at the, the 26 or 27 guys. Oh, now I messed that up. I think it was 27 guys who played entirely in the Super Bowl era, offensive linemen. And the, the median number of years they played was 13. And Yanda's in his 13th season. And the mean was 13.3. So he can... Exceed the mean with one more. I think there were a lot of the guys who played before him, particularly the guys who played in the 80s, uh, had more in, in the 70s, had more in terms of Pro Bowls and All Pro. But part of that is the fact that nobody knew anything about offensive line play from year to year. And so the same guys made it every single freaking year to the Pro Bowl. So you didn't have that. You didn't have the you know, PFF to basically tell you, no, he's not good anymore. And, you know, right, this guy right, is. right. Yeah, well, and so the other thing that would help, and, you know, I, I hate to jump the gun, but this is a young team, a very young team, and they're already a playoff-caliber team. 
it's only going to go up with with uh, Lamar on this rookie contract. So another thing that would seal it would be another Super Bowl appearance, you know. And and so stick with it with these young guys because they're only going to get better. Yeah, that would be it'd be the equivalent of the four down stop for the last snaps of Ray's career to have Marshall right. lead a QB sneak into the end zone for the game winning touchdown <laughs> in the Super Bowl. I like Let's it. Let's go for that. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to Orlando Brown. He is the other lineman who had a tough game. And he had uh, Frank Clark opposite him, who's over from Seattle, a signee, uh, the big one over the winter for, uh, for the Chiefs over the offseason. And he had a C-minus game here, barely tucked into the bottom of the C range despite giving up a sack. And a lot of pressures, five, but it was on portions of seven events, three fulls and four halves. So tough game for Brown. Didn't miss a lot of blocks, which is good. But uh, but a C minus effort, and he's he's uh, given up a couple sacks these last two weeks. There was another play that looked like a sack in this game that they they looked on further review. They were actually trying to set up a boot play. Uh, so he he was he, he blocked the correct guy, and I couldn't couldn't tag him with the sack. But uh, but he's he's had a couple sacks these last two weeks, and and he needs to pick that up. The uh, I won't. It's going to be a while till I forget the. Uh... Was it Clark who did the spin move on him and then had a little yes. piggyback ride on Lamar? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was yep. bad. That was bad. It's a, it's a helpless feeling there. He's he's piggybacking Lamar, and Brown knows he can't pull him off and hold him or whatever. Although, <laughs> right. I guess he could at that point because they're going to take the sack. But uh, but anyway, it's a, it was a helpless feeling, I'm sure. Yes. All right. So how about skill position players? Who, who would you like to talk about? Anybody specific you want to start with? Oh, my goodness. It has to be Mark Ingram. That guy, that guy is a dog. He is just, he was meant to be a Raven. He's physical. Uh, you know, the, the good morning football crew has dubbed him the, the angry runner. Um, and, and nothing um, symbolized that more than that. Was it fourth and five? Thir- three and Third five. five. Yep. Third and five. Three, breaks three defenders and it took the fourth and fifth to get him down after he got the first down that that's 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 just an animal mentality just churning those legs keep going he's now had two games over the century mark he is the uh number i think he has the most rushing touchdowns in the league number five with rushing yards i mean what an excellent pickup from eric DaCosta this offseason who and the Ravens already had a good rushing attack I mean I'd love it even more there's a couple times where they had Ingram and uh, you know and he would run a lot he kept going to the right you know right off of Yonda and then Gus Edwards would come in he go up the middle you know and I think he I mean he had a yard a, a lot of yards uh, per carry Gus Edwards did mm-hmm. just just a massive pickup Mark Ingram and he's reliable and consistent I just love him right 6.4 yards for Ingram, 5.8 yards per carry for Jackson, 7.6 for Edwards, even though he had the big one called back on the on the holding penalty. But uh, it, just another outstanding game. This was the first time in, I think it was nine games, it might have been all of Lamar's starts. So this is the first time the Ravens had not outrushed their opponents by 100 yards. And they they didn't do badly. They lost the game by five points where the score's in the 30s. That's an unusual right. time to rush for 203 yards in a game. You'd figure your quarterback throws for 350 and you lose that game, but not you run for two, 203. Very true, because you, you just think that you're keeping the ball out of the other opponent's hands. And the Ravens did win the time of possession, but again, they just have Mahomes. Right. <laughs> He'll go down in two or three plays. So. Right. I, I, I really thought they had to win the, the snap count by an amount similar to what they did. They did. They won it you know, by what, 13-14 in this game, but 78-64, I think it was. But that was a necessary but not sufficient condition, unfortunately, in this particular game. They didn't uh, – it wasn't enough with Mahomes' big plays and, and the way they made every drive count. Yeah. It's incredible what he does. Yep. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Brown, if that's okay with you. Two of yeah. nine targets caught, obviously, was the was – the, receiver most often missed over the top by uh, Lamar in this game. It was, uh, th- this one was, was super frustrating. I mean, you already said it. 
nine nine targets, two catches. That can't happen. And then Andrews was seven targets and three catches. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of almost lumped them together because it was clear that the Chiefs, the Chiefs had a defensive plan that was almost the opposite of Miami. And I would have thought Miami's would have been the correct one. Miami, their their strategy was to make shut Lamar down as a runner and make him with with his arm. And he blew. I mean, he blew him away. The Chiefs were like, we're going we're gonna to live with the runs. And they wanted to take away Andrews and, and Brown. And they did. Mm-hmm. They did. And so he, he, you have, in the first two weeks, those two combined for 14 catches, 226 yards, and two touchdowns per game. Against KC, they combined for five catches for 64 yards and no scores. So, and again, they, they were game planning for them. They did. On top of that, Lamar was just missing them. I mean, there were a few times that Brown had the step and, and Lamar just, just overthrew him. But, but when those two are taken away like that, you've got to see other receivers or, and or tight ends step up. I thought Hurst did. Hurst was open. He got overthrown too. But mm-hmm. you finally saw Sneed kind of getting, kind of catching fire in the second half. But then you also need to get Boykin in there and know where he's at. But if that's if that's going to be the blueprint that people copy, which is, hey, we're just going to take away Andrews and and Brown, then some of these other receivers have got to they've they've got to start connecting with Lamar. Yeah, I absolutely. And and part of this was the four man pass rush because they are dropping seven into into coverage, and that obviously is going to create problems. And they have other options in doubling Brown and Andrews. You know, the, the, the stat I really liked for Andrews and Brown was yards per target. Coming in, they were 12.94. That would have been an, a Ravens record for either of them. The previous record was Mark Andrews, 2018, who was 11.04. So they both were substantially ahead of that sort of a pace. In this game, four yards per target combined between the two of them. 16 targets for 64 yards. So that ain't going to get it done, and uh, and it didn't. All right. Uh, I think we covered Brown and Ingram then. Uh, Robertson Sneed. Love the aggressiveness going after those prayers. I love also the fact, I think, that Lamar probably saw the back of the guy who was covering Roberts when he threw the ball. So he knew Roberts was probably going to have the opportunity to react to it. So uh, Totally agree. All right. So that, uh, uh, you know, good opportunities there. Anyone else you want to talk about? Offensive line players? We can go to the mailbag if we need to, but. Uh... Nope, nope. I mean, I, like I said, I mean, I just with that Sneed one, I, I think he saved uh, Lamar an interception. That was that was absolutely incredible and makes up for, even though I think it was a phantom call on the holding. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I wasn't one of those people. I got I got a. A, a, you know, a little bit in trouble on Twitter. I, I thought that the refs were right on the McPhee roughing the passer and the Judon horse collar tackle, but I do think the one on on Willie Sneed was was phantom. Um, and so, but you know, he was called for it. I think that that catch more than made up for it. All right, all right, I would agree. It was a it was a good one. Josh, what do you have for us in the mailbag? All right, so we've got a uh, pretty full mailbag, a lot of this uh, schemes and Lamar and wide receivers. Let's start with Lamar, and this is Zach who's wondering if you think Lamar's overthrows were due to mechanics or posture issues, or it's um, or if he's mentally trying to force the play. What do you think was the cause of that? You mentioned earlier about how he has off days occasionally, but is there something specific that caused the off day? I, I can start, I guess. I'm I'm not one to comment on quarterback mechanics. It's just not an area of expertise for me. So why the ball is sailing, I, I can't really tell you. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people would say so it has something to do with stepping into the throw. That's about where my knowledge of that situation ends, and I wouldn't want to extend it beyond that. <laughs> and that's probably where the extent of knowledge for most people ends, and yet they still <laughs> want to comment. So good on you, Ken. I, I mean, I will say I feel like, uh, before there was, you know, he just wasn't, or last season, there wasn't as much of a willingness to, to stay in the pocket, even climb the pocket. I was seeing him climb the pocket, even against KC. Uh, beyond that, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a, a quarterback's coach. Um, my feeling is that he had an off day. I didn't see anything, uh, you know, particularly disturbing that was like in my, in your face. Oh, that's what he was doing wrong. 
All right. Uh, Garnett says the receivers are not getting good separation on the one-on-one matchups. Is it because our receiving core is not that good, or is it a scheme problem? Uh, I don't know that I agree with the the, the, the premise of that question. I mean, I, think, I felt like uh, Brown had a step several times. I felt like Hayden Hurst had a step several times. I think, again, it was more that, that – Lamar was inaccurate and, and, and overthrew it. That, that's my take on it. I don't know about you, Ken. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would agree with you entirely that Brown certainly has had a step the whole year, and, and we'd expect for his whole career basically to be able to manipulate pretty effectively with his own speed. Andrews has been finding space. I don't think that's really the issue. I think there were issues this game in particular with Kansas City willing to drop more into coverage and having that extra coverage asset per play uh, to, to try and neutralize Lamar as, as a passer. Uh, the guy I'm, I am a little bit frustrated with what separation he's getting is Boykin. We should be seeing more from him. And maybe some of it is Lamar's not going to him, and maybe some of it he's not, he's not really open. But uh, he's got to get better at either making do with contested catches, which he is a big physical guy. He can do that. Or he can, he's got to do better at getting free, which he is a big fast guy. So he should be able to do that too. Do you have his targets in front of you, Boykin? Uh, yeah, it's not much. It's two of five for the year, of zero of one in this game. So two of five for 16 yards on the year. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's him not getting open. Maybe it's that Lamar's focusing so much on, on Brown and Andrews that he's not even looking that way. But I'd yeah. like to see that develop also. Yeah, Boykin had 27 snaps with one target in this game. Unacceptable. So, uh... Well, and if I remember correctly, he – drop that ball that was right in his hands. And in order to really build up that connection and trust from Lamar, he's got to catch these balls. That that would have been a great one to start the trust. That would yep. have been a great one. It was a hard catch. Right, right. All right. Um, part of it is that the fans do not like to give defenses credit, and they always think it's the offense that screws up. But uh, Meteor Reed is pointing out that Lamar said the Chiefs rolled coverage to take away the deep ball. Schematically, what can Roman do in order to counter that? Well, I mean, they've got, they've got to start the start with being fearless with the run. And I thought they really were pretty fearless with the run in the second half in this game. I mean, first of all, to come out on, on the third quarter and run the ball eight out of nine times. And those <laughs> yeah. running plays, 9-4-15-13-1-6-8, a pass incomplete, and then another 19-yard run for the touchdown. I mean, you couldn't do more to stuff it right down the Chiefs' throat than what they did on that drive. And then, you know, you mentioned the play earlier, Sarah, where they ran, even though it was third and five, on the third play of the fourth quarter for six yards to get a first down. So I thought they were fairly fearless about their running, and that's what they'll need to do if teams want to just completely play coverage and try and take away Lamar's assets. Yeah, I, I think I totally agree. I think you have to be – again, the Ravens came out aggressive. I think that they knew this was a points game. So, But they started out very balanced. That first drive – there was, I think it was seven runs and seven pass plays. They got mm-hmm. away from it in the second quarter where they went very pass heavy. And, and I think, and that was just, a, that was where everything went wrong. Not only was it bad on, on the Ravens offense, but bad on defense too, where the chiefs just went off, you know, on scoring. So I think that, you know, I remember so many times playing the Patriots that you just, you hated playing them when they would dink and dunk you all the way down the field. And it's just like, but if you're giving up five yards here, six yards here, four yards there, they just kill you. You know, it's the death by a thousand cuts. And and if, if defenses are going to do that, they're going to roll the coverage. They're going to take away Andrews. They're going to take away Brown, you know, whatever. You have to be willing in that second quarter, you just keep running and running and running and, and just, you know, kill them by five chunks here, six chunks here. And then eventually those safeties are going to are going to get sucked in and then you can go back over their heads. Right. So that, that drive you're talking about in particular, the third drive of Q2, they passed the ball six times and ran it once for no game. I also had a full start penalty in the middle of that drive. So that really killed it. And that, that drive was right around three minutes left in the half. So that, that passing and all those incompletes, they had five and in, four incompletes, really led to the Chiefs getting the ball back for another long drive in the last minute and a half or so of that half, mm-hmm. which, yeah. uh, yeah, that, that was a big turning point in the game, certainly, in terms of, of uh, not sticking with strengths. My first thought in that situation is the Ravens, not only they need to drive it down, but they need to eat every bit of that clock and hopefully score three at least. 
and then right. start with the ball in the second half. But uh, but they instead they end up doing twenty to six, or twenty three to six. Yeah, gave gave the ball back with too much time with with those incomplete passes. All right, uh, Jalen is wondering how we can get Hollywood Brown more involved into the game, and should they consider the punt kick return game for Hollywood? Okay, he's he's got plenty of snaps on offense, so I would not I do not want to get him back there as a as a return man. I always hated that with Webb uh, taking that kind of risk with him. But you know, the only other thing we can really do on offense with him is is do more jet motion and get him involved on a couple of running plays. I don't really see much more he can do as a receiver that would be different. Yeah, not only are his snaps up pretty well, but he I think he was the number one targeted. Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm not too concerned about getting him involved. Other people were complaining about getting other receivers more involved, um, which if he's going to be taken out like that, that's that's probably the better um, criticism, I guess. The, the, the snaps for the wide receivers in this game, Brown 62, Snead 59, Roberts 52, Boykin 27, and Moore 12. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, next question up is, should we consider sending, uh, a six round pick for KO? He's 30 now. Jets are going nowhere, but he surely has got to be better than what we've got at left guard. All right. I saw the question earlier on Twitter when it came up and I thought, you know, that does sound actually kind of appealing and the Jets might trade him for a song. Basically could be a seven, might not have to be a six. He hasn't really played well this year is a problem. At least that's the way PFF sees it. And he didn't play well last year. And he makes about $9 bucks the remainder of this year. So that would certainly be cap that the Jets would like to offload, I believe. I just don't know if the Ravens really want to eat that much cap for KO at this point. Huh. Well, I, I, I hadn't seen that question. I would have researched that a little bit more. Um... Yeah, the cap is a, is a is a and I haven't even followed KO and how how well he's doing. I mean, if it were the KO that was here before, sure, I'll give sure. a sixth rounder for that. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I can't speak much more. If I had seen it, I would have I would have researched it. I don't know how well he's playing, and I didn't know what, what the cap situation was. Okay, just to add one more point to this is he was already released or traded. I think traded to the Jets, and they picked him up. They still have the same contract. Yeah, he must have been. He must have been traded. So all of that, the the previous bonus money has already been accelerated. So he's just on a salary only deal at this point. But those salaries, because it's a, the, this is a second to last year, and next year is the last year of his contract, are still pretty beefy. So this year was ten million or so. Next year is even more. It's like eleven million. So they they probably have to cut him after this year. One one thing that I would look to is is the Ravens have such a lousy situation to tackle right now if anything were to happen to either guy that I think that could fall into their thinking in terms of, of mm. if you pick up KO, maybe you pick up a serviceable backup tackle. Yeah, yeah. He if I remember right, he he did backup tackle here in his first stint, didn't he? Yeah, he played tackle in two thousand twelve for the entire so he year. Played, he, so it was the whole year. Okay. And then he yeah. moved back there at some point. He, I think he, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly when, but he did move back to, to, to tackle before he left also. So there was a, he had two stints at tackle with the Ravens. Gotcha. Well, that'll be interesting to watch. I don't know what the Jets are. I, I didn't know if, if there was some sort of rumor that they were putting him on the trading block or something. I, I'd be interested to know if, there, if that would be something real for them that they want to unload him. All right, um, let's close out the mailbag with, uh, let's see, there's three questions here all about Boykin. And let's go with this one. What have you seen from Boykin? And do you think he has the potential that he was raved about in training camp to become a huge boon if he can become a number one wide receiver of sorts? You want to start, Sarah? I'll go second on this one. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, it's, it's been three weeks. It's been three weeks. Um, you know, he, he had an outstanding training camp by all accounts. Um, but, um, you know, Hollywood wasn't in training camp. So it's, it's very interesting that Hollywood wasn't there. Um, and in his absence, Boykin, Boykin was going off. So, um, I I think it's just something where the Ravens, if they want to get him involved, it has to be um, a more concerted effort. Like he just hasn't been getting 
you know, the looks and all that. I know that he has missed a couple of um, catches that came his way. That wasn't a problem for him in college. You know, I, I don't know if that's a real problem. I I'm, I'm certainly wouldn't put him on the Perriman level. So I, I don't know. We're just three weeks in. I, I think that you still have to experiment with that with that um, potential, given how well he did in training camp. I just think for the first two weeks, Andrews and, and Hollywood were doing so well that, you know, it wasn't a, a need to go that way. And I think that if people keep stopping, the, stopping those two, then he will become a need, and, and we're going to have to see if he can do it. I, there just hasn't been enough within the season to know how good he can be. Right. So when we're looking at yards per target thing, I look at Boykin's preseason and I agree he had a good camp and everybody was raving about him there. But the preseason, they forced the ball to him a lot. And he was just not very consistent as a receiver, even though he had some big plays. So he caught five of 14 balls during the preseason for 83 yards, which is less than six yards per target. Now, I know a lot of that's a backup quarterback, but it's also backup defenders. Boykin didn't really display that good bad ball catching ability, which I thought might help him with Lamar. So I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I think they will try and get him involved. I think this season Boykin will make less of a contribution. But if, if anybody's really writing off Boykin at this point, I mean, he's a, an amazing physical specimen who had real results also to go with it in college that, you know, not, well, not an Oklahoma offense was still, was still very good. And I, I've got to believe he'll be good in 2020, even if they never really get him involved in 2019. Yeah, do you think – I think as Raven fans, we're kind of just weary of wide receivers because we haven't had great luck in a long time. Um, and everyone's worried that every wide receiver we draft is going to be the next pairman. That's yeah. my take. Oh, yeah. drop, next... be, right. Boykin dropped a big ball on Sunday. Now we think all he can do is drop balls. I would caution against calling that a, a drop, but otherwise I agree with you that Ravens fans are are obviously highly skeptical of the receivers involved, and, and they've they've been burned before. Yep. Yeah, they've, they've definitely been burned, so I, I get the sentiment. I think you have to resist temptation and treat each receiver as an individual, and remember, it's been three weeks of his rookie year. All right. Well, let's close out the mailbag on that. Remember to get your questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag or comment over at filmstudyravens.com. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining us once again. I know there's nothing really for you to plug except for your Twitter, which is SG Ellison. Uh, I got that right, right? No, nothing. That, you got, you got it right. That's, that's all I'm doing. I'm, I'm just uh, Ravens for now is a hobby for me and my intermittent, re- intermittent uh, retirement. So that's where I'm at, and I just kind of pour out my thoughts there. I will say she is a fantastic follow and is a central hub of information on Twitter. If you're not following Sarah, big mistake. So I think most of you are. She's got a ton of followers. But anyway, it's yeah. a, I, I, she, she'd be a great follow. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about what else we're doing on the on the website. By the way, Sarah, if you want to ever contribute anything to a website, we'd love to have you do some guest writing for us. If you if, Short blog, opinion piece, whatever you'd like to do. Love to have your work. Um, but we, we started a new place on the site called The Gallery that I want people to try and visit. And it's going to have visualizations that various people are offering up. And, you know, they just have some incredibly cool visual representations of things. So there's one out there now currently uh, that looks at Lamar Jackson game by game and gives you a, a very highly visual representation of what's happened. And right away I picked out that, well, he hasn't had an interception in a long time. And I've seen that again today come up, but uh, but he's been a half season without an interception. I didn't realize that even before I looked at this. So there's a whole bunch of things on the chart that that really catch your eye, and it's an appealing thing to look at. And the the young man who does it, Ravens Viz, is creating these and is going to continually update them through the year. There's another guy who has visualizations of the entire game play by play in a color-coded squares diagram that is just a very cool thing also. So I encourage people to take a visit out there, take a look at what we've got. In addition to all the normal material, we've got podcasts and articles on filmstudyravens.com. All right, that's great. Yeah, Ken, I saw that you've been busy with uh, the new article today as well. So all this, all your breakdowns are up there. And then uh, what do we have this week for Know Your Foe as we get ready for the Browns? 
Yeah, we've got a really good Browns guy tomorrow, and we'll keep him a secret for right now because I don't have his name right in front of me. <laughs> so, But we're looking forward to it. This guy is, is very good. And just the questions he asked in terms of how do you want to go through the podcast, we're going to get a very technical representation of the Browns. It should be a lot of fun. All right. That's awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, have a great evening. Thanks, Sarah. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.